read from the Holy Scriptures this evening from the prophecy of Jeremiah, chapter 14. Jeremiah, chapter 14. Recall Jeremiah prophesies in very difficult days for Judah. Judah followed in the paths of the northern kingdom and fallen into idolatry, departing from the Lord's ways. The Lord was bringing his righteous judgments upon them, chastisements for his people, a remnant according to the election of grace. This chapter speaks especially of great famine in the land, and of course presently Judah would be taken into captivity in Babylon. Jeremiah would pray on behalf of Judah. Our text this evening is found in the last verse of the chapter, verse 22. We see our calling to wait upon the Lord. Also with regard to rain, the things of this present time. We hear the word of God in the prophecy of Jeremiah, chapter 14. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah concerning the dearth. Judah mourneth, and the gates thereof languish. They are black unto the ground, and the cry of Jerusalem is gone up. Their nobles have sent their little ones to the waters. They came to the pits and found no water. They returned with their vessels empty. They were ashamed and confounded and covered their heads. Because the ground is chapped, for there was no rain in the earth, the plowmen were ashamed, they covered their heads. Yea, the hind also calved in the field and forsook it, because there was no grass. And the wild asses did stand in the high places. They snuffed up the wind like dragons. Their eyes did fail, because there was no grass. O Lord, though our iniquities testify against us, do thou it for thy name's sake. For our backslidings are many. We have sinned against thee. O the hope of Israel, the Savior thereof in time of trouble, why shouldest thou be as a stranger in the land, and as a wayfaring man that turneth aside to tarry for a night? Why shouldest thou be as a man astonished, as a mighty man that cannot save? Yet thou, O Lord, art in the midst of us, and we are called by thy name. Leave us not. Thus saith the Lord unto this people, Thus have they loved to wander, they have not refrained their feet, therefore the Lord doth not accept them. He will now remember their iniquity and visit their sins. Then said the Lord unto me, Pray not for this people for their good. When they fast, I will not hear their cry. And when they offer burnt offering and an oblation, I will not accept them. But I will consume them by the sword, and by the famine, and by the pestilence. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, the prophets say unto them, Ye shall not see the sword, neither shall ye have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. 
Then the Lord said unto me, The prophets prophesy lies in my name. I sent them not, neither have I commanded them, neither spake unto them. They prophesy unto you a false vision and divination, and the thing of naught, and the deceit of their heart. Therefore thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that prophesy in my name, and I sent them not. Yet they say sword and famine shall not be in this land. By sword and famine shall those prophets be consumed. And the people to whom they prophesy shall be cast out in the streets of Jerusalem because of the famine and the sword. And they shall have none to bury them, their wives, nor their sons, nor their daughters, for I will pour their wickedness upon them. Therefore thou shalt say this word unto them, Let mine eyes run down with tears night and day, and let them not cease. For the virgin daughter of my people is broken with a great breach, with a very grievous blow. If I go forth into the field, then behold the slain with the sword. And if I enter into the city, then behold them that are sick with famine. Yea, both the prophet and the priest go about into a land that they know not. Hast thou utterly rejected Judah? Hath thy soul loathed Zion? Why hast thou smitten us, and there is no healing for us? We looked for peace, and there is no good, and for the time of healing, and behold, trouble. We acknowledge, O Lord, our wickedness and the iniquity of our fathers, for we have sinned against thee. Do not abhor us. For thy name's sake, do not disgrace the throne of thy glory. Remember, break not thy covenant with us. Here we have the words of our text in verse 22. Are there any among the vanities of the Gentiles that can cause rain? Or can the heavens give showers? Art not thou he, O Lord, our God? Therefore, we will wait upon thee, for thou hast made all these things. Thus far, we read from God's infallibly inspired word. As I said, our text is found in verse 22, the concluding verse of the passage we've read in Jeremiah chapter 14. Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, Again, we gather for worship and prayer with respect to an approaching spring, another agricultural season. We come together to confess our dependence upon the sovereign God of heaven and earth. We acknowledge that in him and in him alone we live and move and have our very being. We testify together that every good and gift, every good gift and every perfect gift from above cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. However, we must remember that we are here not to demand of God prosperity, 
We may not assemble to ask God for earthly abundance as such. We certainly may not petition God to grant us a thousand and one things for carnal pleasure or enjoyment, delicacies and luxuries. We may not foolishly think that we are to pray for a bumper crop or a booming business or a thriving economy, so that we can say to our soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and make merry. God forbid. But as the Lord Jesus has taught us, we cry, Father, give us bread. Give us this day our daily bread, whether we be rich or poor, whether we are employed or unemployed, whether we are young or old, whether we are able to work, all these things depend upon the Lord, our God. All that we have, our Heavenly Father gives to us, prepares for us, brings to our tables. That's true whether we are farmer, factory worker, businessman, mother at home, teacher at school, retiree, student, whatever our station and calling in life at this time. It's easy for us to see as his children that it is... He, the living God, who sends the rain, the sunshine, causes the seed to sprout, that he gives the increase, causes the grain to ripen in the field. At the same time, we realize that in the days we live, that even farming becomes far more complex than in the days of old. We realize that God brings our daily bread through all the maze of economic and industrial and commercial circumstances and relationships Regardless of whether we eat from the garden or the grocery store, we are dependent upon God for our physical and material needs. And the poor prophet Jeremiah recognized this, this dependence upon Jehovah. But he was called by God to prophesy in, in Judah's darkest days his ministry was to announce the impending and imminent judgments of God upon the inhabitants of Judah. That ju judgment was just, for the people had wandered, had not refrained their feet. They had gone in the way of apostasy. But at the same time, the prophet knows that Jehovah will not forget his promise. He will not forsake his people. Even the word of judgment is a word for the sake of the remnant, the 
according to the election of grace. And so the prophet Jeremiah prays, Thou art He, O Jehovah our God, not upon the vanities of the heathen, but upon Thee will we wait. The idol gods cannot give rain, neither do the heavens, the sky, merely drop showers, but Thou art He. The matter of rain, and therefore also the matter of the withholding of rain, is strictly in God's hand. God has made all these things. He is the sovereign Creator. And Thou, O Jehovah, art our God. How foolish then, how utterly vain to wait upon the vanities of the Gentiles, what sheer folly to expect anything from the heavens, the sky itself. Therefore, we will wait upon thee. So it is that we pray here in this veil of tears where it may sometimes appear that God has forsaken us that his soul loatheth Zion. And it seems there is no healing for us when we look for peace and there is no good and we look for a time of healing and behold trouble. And yet acknowledging our wickedness because we have sinned against him, we will also humbly tell him in our prayers, Thou art he. We will wait upon thee, trusting that for his name's sake he will not abhor us, that he will not disgrace the throne of his glory, he will not break his covenant with us. We will wait upon him. And so this prayer day service, let let us take a closer look at the prayer of the prophet of God as we consider our text under the theme, Waiting Upon Jehovah. We notice, first of all, in what circumstances, secondly, upon whom we wait, and finally, with what attitude we wait. Judah is in very dire straits, she mourns the gates of Jerusalem languish. They're black to the ground. The cry of Jerusalem is gone up, ashamed and confounded. They return from the pits with empty water vessels. The ground is chapped. The plowmen are ashamed. Even the beasts of the forest and field despair. The cow is calved in the field and contrary to all animal instinct has forsaken its young because there was no grass. The wild asses are filled with panic and snuff up the wind like dragons. Their eyes fail for lack of grass. Once already, in humble confession of sin and backsliding, the prophet Jeremiah had prayed 
and the Lord had said, pray not for this people for their good. But though most of Judah was apostate, and though the wicked were in control, and though even his own had slipped into sinful ways, yet there was that remnant, the remnant of the elect. And can God utterly reject Judah then? And so the prophet prays again, appealing to the honor of God's own name and concluding with the vow to wait upon him. Just understand that in that time and in that place, rain was vitally important, indispensable, as long as Canaan was the promised land, as long as the earthly Canaan was a type of the heavenly Canaan, there must be prosperity and plenty. The land must flow with milk and honey. Eventually, of course, that type must pass away, make room for the reality. And then rain would no longer be indispensable for the land of Canaan. But when the prophet prays, that time is not far off anymore. Prayer will be answered, not by rain, by the end of the famine, but by further judgment upon the wicked, while to the remnant God promises redemption. And so while the righteous must suffer with wicked Judah, God is long-suffering over his own, and at length he reveals his mercy, and the prayer of the righteous, as always, availeth much. They are not put to shame who wait upon him. They are assured of God's faithfulness to his cause. Jeremiah would proclaim it later in his, in his prophecy in chapter 33, verse 16. Judah shall be saved and Jerusalem shall dwell safely, and this is the name wherewith she shall be called the Lord, our righteousness. Of course, we don't live in the promised land as Judah did. Rain, though we like it in proper measure and in a timely fashion, is not really absolutely necessary as a token of God's favor as it was in the land of Canaan. In the land of shadows, if there was famine, God's people could rightly ask the question as to whether God had utterly forsaken Judah. But we are not in the land of Canaan. and We are not yet in the heavenly Canaan. We cannot simply apply what was true of the typical people of God in the typical promised land and its bounties to us in this new dispensation. There are those that try to do that, speak in terms sometimes even of the United States as God's nation, the promised land. 
where application can be made today of the Old Testament promises and prophecies is not to the United States as such or any earthly country, but to the church of this new dispensation. Nevertheless, we are citizens of the heavenly Canaan. As such, we are pilgrims and strangers here in the earth. And as long as we are in the earth, we are taught during our earthly pilgrimage to pray for our daily bread. Besides, until the end, as long as sons continue, as long as God's church must be born and gathered from out of the whole human race, there must be bread to sustain our earthly existence. The matter of rain or famine is certainly closely connected with that daily bread. No rain, then ultimately no bread. Though things are far more complex in the day in which we live, yet that's the principle. And it's God's own promise made for the sake of his own name and in his sovereign grace over his own people while the earth remaineth seed time and harvest and cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Oh, certainly it would be dreadful not to find water, to return with empty vessels from the wells, horrible to find the ground chapped when the plowman must be ashamed because it's pure folly to plow the dusty ground. God's promise, his eternal promise of the salvation of his church and therefore of his own name are at stake. Must have rain. The earthly things that are needful for us. Rain for the sake of God's covenant until the end of time arrives. Though things be far more complex today, still the truth is the same. We are dependent as earthly creatures upon these earthly and material things. Upon whom then will we wait? To wait upon someone for anything means that you have your expectation from him upon whom you wait. It implies the authority to do something, the power to accomplish it on the part of him upon whom you wait. You don't expect a little child to repair the computer. You don't wait upon a baby to speak words of wisdom. You do not wait upon a lowly private to command the army. They don't have the power and authority in close connection. That you wait upon someone implies acknowledgement of that power and authority, and it implies, therefore, humility and meekness, an attitude of silence and expectation before that one 
with authority and power. And therefore, to wait upon someone really involves three virtues. It requires the virtue of contentment, according to which the inner state of our heart and mind is in harmony with the will of him who has that authority and power. Also as that will and that authority and power touch our particular life. It also involves the virtue of confidence, trust, which has as its basis the knowledge that the power and authority is for us, in our favor, that he loves us so that we are not filled with anxiety and worry, but may be assured that this power and authority are used in the right way. And so it involves, too, the virtue of obedience, the willingness to do the will of him upon whom you wait. As a child waits upon its parents. A subject, a citizen, waits upon his king. A servant waits upon his master. And so it is that God's people wait upon him. Upon whom else would we wait? The question of authority and power to give rain, to supply these physical material needs, if, if that's the criterion? Will we wait upon the vanities of the heathen? Or upon the heavens, the skies? Wait upon them to open up? Sometimes a question to which the answer is very obvious states the truth much more emphatically, much more powerfully than a simple statement. And so it is with these three questions here in our text. Are there any among the vanities of the heathen that can give rain? That's a pertinent question. If there are, we might wait upon them. If there are not, is it not utter folly to do so? Your waiting would be as vain as the vanities themselves. We have a concrete reference here, of course, to the idols of the Gentile nations round about Judah. Vain idols which Judah also introduced into the land of promise. So many in number that Judah put the Gentile nations to shame in point of idol worship. The answer is no. Emphatically no. Notice that the prophet speaks of vanities, not merely of idols. They are no gods at all. As we sang moments ago, they cannot see, they cannot speak, their ears are deaf, their hands are weak. They are simply the product of the sinful imaginations of men. 
totally empty, devoid of any power and authority whatsoever. Helpless they are, like Baal in the prophet Elijah's time. Helpless to send either rain or fire down from heaven upon the altar. They have no control over flood or drought, over famine or bountiful harvest. Would you wait upon such vanities? Besides, they are the vanities of the heathen. Those who are apart from the living God, those who have not been given new life by his spirit, regenerated by the spirit of Christ. But God's people, the remnant according to election, those called out of darkness into his marvelous light, have been given new life upon whom will we wait? Yes, and as surely as there are heathen, even civilized, modern-day heathens, so surely are there heathen vanities upon whom the heathen wait. For an idol, a heathen vanity, is anyone or anything beside the one true God of heaven and earth revealed in the Scriptures which men may contrive and in which they would place their trust. Perhaps it's science, technology, or government. Man himself, in his own strength and ingenuity. And vanities are as vain today as they were in Jeremiah's time matter how learned, civilized they may appear, they are as incapable of giving rain today, a crop, earthly prosperity, even a crumb of daily bread as they were in the time of Baal and Molech and Ashtaroth. Upon them, O God, we will not wait. We, thy people, thy covenant people, the sheep of thy pasture, we have no expectation from such vanities. Nor upon the heavens themselves, the sky, the clouds. Sometimes we can carelessly speak of the heavens as giving showers, speaking as though we don't acknowledge God, though there be many who would trust in nature, even in blind fate, to take its course. Many in our day would knowledge and worship even Mother Earth, 
we know, we know that the heavens cannot drop showers. They have no power and authority of themselves and in themselves. That We know that when the dark clouds gather and rise, when the showers fall to quench the thirst of plant and animal and man, we know that the gathering of the clouds and the dropping of each drop of water is not of the heavens as such. They have no power, no no, or any authority. It does not rain. How then shall we make another idol of the heavens, the skies, the product of God's creative power in word? They say that there is no God. How shall we wait upon the creature rather than the sovereign creator. God forbid upon God, Jehovah, we shall wait. For thou art Jehovah, our God. And our God is not one among many. He is not the national idol of Israel as Baal was of the Zidonians and Dagon, the deity of the Philistines. Our God is Jehovah. He is the true and living God. The God whom we confessed again this evening as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is the I am, that I am, the independent and self-sufficient one, sovereign over all. He is not merely the chief among the gods, as was Zeus among the gods on Mount Olympus, according to the Greek mythology. He is not very high, nor merely the highest, but he is absolutely sovereign. He alone is God, the unchanging God who always is, never becomes. There is no shadow of turning in him. He is the almighty, the all-wise, Jehovah our God. Art thou not he, O Lord, our God? What does this mean? means that God and God alone has the authority to send rain not only but also to bless and to curse. He is Jehovah, our God, the unchangeable, the ever faithful covenant-keeping God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. How can he possibly forsake Zion he has all power. Apart from him, there is no power, certainly no power to send showers, to give bread, to give life and health and strength. And he has all wisdom. Let us not forget that. We acknowledge that his ways are 
far higher than our ways and his thoughts than our thoughts. We often don't truly know what is good for us. Even if we think we do, God knows perfectly when, why, and how, in what measure to send rain and all the other necessities of life. No one has any wisdom apart from him, and so his is the sovereign determination of every last drop of rain and of all that we need for life in the midst of this world. We shall certainly wait upon God. Understand that we wait upon him not as a favor to him, can possibly do the living God a favor. And beside, God will certainly do all his good pleasure whether we wait upon him or not. He is the sovereign I am. He is not dependent upon us whatsoever. Neither does waiting mean that we simply sit back and would do nothing as if the ravens will bring us food or as if manna will come from heaven. No, we would work as God calls us. We would use the talents and gifts and abilities and strength, the means that God has given unto us, striving to be good stewards in our pilgrim way. We shall acknowledge God, his absolute sovereign power and authority, his control over all things. By his grace, we shall be humbly silent before him, whether he sends rain or drought, plenty or scarcity, whether the economy flounders or flourishes, whether the inflation goes up or down. With the apostle, we shall say by grace, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And with the psalmist we say, I was dumb, I opened not my mouth, because thou didst it. We will strive to grow in the grace of contentment and not grumble and complain to be satisfied and not to rebel. We shall confess, thou doest all things well. Living by the day, 
We shall not be anxious or worried, but confident. For if God be for us, who can be against us? And so we continue as the Lord Jesus has taught us to make our prayers, seeking our daily bread, all our earthly needs. We wait upon God, Jehovah our God. We wait upon him exclusively. We will not acknowledge any other. Upon no arm of flesh will we wait. Not the government, not the welfare system, not our investments or our insurance policies. Our trust shall not be put in man. We shall never rely upon our money. No, thou art he. Thou art God. That's our confession. Thou hast made all these things. He is the sovereign creator, calling them forth, the things that were not as though they were. The heavens, the rain, all the things of creation. Yea, even the wood and stone, the gold and silver, out of which the vanities of the heathen are formed. Thou hast made all things by thy word of power, and as the Creator who callest the things that were not as though they were, God is also the upholder and the governor over all things. Thou, and thou alone, Canst send rain. How beautiful, beautiful is our confession in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 10, answer 27, concerning the providence of God. As it were, by his hand, he upholds and governs heaven, earth, and all creatures, so that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, yea, and all things come, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. This great God, beloved, is our are his people by sovereign election, by gracious redemption, irresistible grace, the objects of his love, a sovereign love in Christ Jesus. And in Christ, God has caused us to know him and to love him. What shall we say then? What shall we say in every circumstance of life, also in the most grievous hardships and afflictions, suffering and sorrow, yea, even in death? Shall we not pray? Art not thou he 
O Lord our God, therefore we will wait upon thee. Our trust is in thee. Our expectation is in thee. Our confidence is in thee. As the Lord Jesus teaches, behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? If God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We say, therefore, we will wait upon thee. And that was the testimony also by the grace of God of the prophet himself. How beautifully Jeremiah speaks in his Lamentations chapter 3, even as he calls to mind his misery. Lamentations 3 from verse 17, we read, And thou hast removed my soul far off from peace. I forgot prosperity. And I said, My strength and my hope is perished from the Lord, remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall, my strength soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them. Notice that wait for him to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. That's it. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him. And so this prayer day, and every day, may this be our petition. Lord, grant us grace to wait upon thee. Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even unto death. Amen. Most merciful and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for Thy Word. Apply it unto our hearts and unto our lives by Thy Spirit. We confess that we are yet so weak and so carnal and so worldly-minded. Grant that we may look unto Thee. Yea, that we may wait upon Thee. So be with us in all our pilgrim way. Also in 
the growing season that lies before us and in all the circumstances of our pilgrim journey. May thy name receive the glory and praise. We ask it with the remission of our sins. In Jesus' name, amen.